All right. Okay. You're listening to the Sound Girls podcast with Daria and Katie. Today's episode features an interview with Jill Purdy. As a prominent supervising sound and dialogue editor in the film and television industries in both Canada and the United States, Jill Prudy has an extraordinary record of achievements spanning over two decades. After graduating from both Queen's University and Sheridan College, and initiating her career via a successful internship with Sound Dogs Toronto, Jill gained a distinguished reputation quickly and has continued to thrive at the top of her field. Jill was invited to become a member of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences in 2018. In addition to Oscar-nominated The Shape of Water, her credits include Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, Mother, Molly's Game, Hands of Stone, Snow White and the Huntsman, Black Swan, and On the Basis of Sex. She is currently co-supervising Guillermo del Toro's Nightmare Alley. Welcome, Jill! Hello. Thank you. So happy to have you. I guess you're like just coming off of a stretch, eh? How are you doing? I'm I'm slowly recovering. It's been it's been a whirlwind, but exciting, and I can't wait to see actually what happens with it. It's Nightmare Alley being released in December, I think December third, and it's it's been fantastic. But again, it's you know in in this industry, it's go go go, and then it's all of a sudden it stops. So now I'm just kind of taking care of some life things and family things that I haven't had time for, but. It's been great so far. We're waiting to hear some feedback before maybe doing a few um, touch-ups on it. Right. And uh, yeah, it's been great. Wow. That transition has got to feel weird, like kind of a momentum shift. Yeah. It's, you know, like 14-hour days to, oh, I don't have to be anywhere today or do anything. <laughs> so it's uh, it's it's lovely, though. But that's that's one of the reasons why I love this business. It's because you, every day is unpredictable and you do have those timeframes that come up where you're suddenly free. So it's not, you're not regimented. And, and that's one of the things I love about it. So I can't complain at all. You like the lack of regimentation? I lack, yeah, it's the word. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the lack of, the lack of the nine to fiveness I, I wouldn't be able to do. So, right. And it's, you know, it's just so, it's so creative. Every day is different. There is no predictability whatsoever, and it's exciting in, in that respect, for sure. Yeah, it is supposedly what people are meant to be loving, routine, but it's it's good in this business that you don't kind of, you don't have to have a routine. But we were just talking a moment ago about how uh, one of us on this podcast does not know uh, what ADR is, so perhaps you'd like to give us a definition? Sure. I think well, I'll start with just basically the an overview of what I do that leads into what ADR is. So my specialty is dialogue, which I basically I take everything that's been recorded on set or on location and make it as seamless as possible and as clear as possible. So if, you know, one person, the angle of one person was was filmed and then the angle of another person and they were recorded at different times of day, I would take those two different shots and meld them together in a way sonically that makes them seem like they're in the same place at the same time. So if it's cutting from one person to the next, it seems like they're in the same location and you don't notice a jump in in background tone of the original recordings. In the event that some of the original recordings are compromised, so if there's a plane going by, if there's a, a car, there's somebody drops something on a, on a ward and it can't be understood, or if a director or producer wants to change the performance of an actor or add a line for clarity's sake, then those actors would be recorded in a studio and they would re-record 
the lines that they originally had done on location or on set in a controlled environment. So that is what ADR is, and that stands for automatic dialogue replacement. So in essence, those actors are replacing their own their own lines. And um, in previous days, it has also been referred to as additional dialogue recording. Yeah. And automated, too. I've heard automated. Yes. Yeah. I mean, automatic dialogue replacement, automatic dialogue recording, additional dialogue replacement. Yeah. So it's... It's all ADR. Yeah. It's, it's all ADR. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can we rewind a little bit? Because I'm always interested, like, in how people... Like, why sound? Like, how did you find yourself here? <laughs> sound was a, a pure accident, a pure happy, lucky accident for me. When I went to school, I my sights were set on picture editing because I'm very visual. And I, I just thought that would be the coolest thing in the world is to be able to, you know, create a story from these different images and, and whatnot. But when I was um, looking for a placement, because at, at Sheridan, they offer internships in, in the third well Sheridan doesn't you have to find your internship which <laughs> which became the problem because I couldn't find a picture editor that that had the time or the opportunity to let me in to to mentor me so I had a, a friend who I've known since childhood like he's been uh, one of my best friends since since we were kids and grew up in the same town and he um, he's the one that introduced me to Sheridan after knowing that I wanted to to pursue film in whatever way possible. And he ended up being a year ahead of me. And he also ended up having an internship at Deluxe uh, Toronto. And after that, with Soundocs Toronto. So he encouraged me because I couldn't find a placement with picture editing to consider sound as an option because of the lack of women in that that field in our industry and that he thought I might I might enjoy it. So and I'm I'm sure glad that I did because I I fell into it very quickly. I loved it very early on. And it was, and at the time I thought, well, it can't hurt me. Like I can learn. I just wanted to learn everything I could. I figured the worst that would happen is that I just take what I learn and apply it to picture editing down the line. Right. But what ended up happening was that I just never left. I ended up interning with Sound Dogs Toronto and I am still with them primarily, even though I, you know, I work all over the place and and with everybody, everyone, everybody, everyone. <laughs> um, so, uh, it just it just ended up suiting my personality, especially dialogue, because I'm very meticulous. I'm very very perfectionist, and you know, there's nothing more hyper focused than taking a waveform and just trying to fix it and manipulate it in a way that makes it sound better. And to to you know, a lot of other people that would be the most boring thing on the planet, but to me, it's it's ever changing, and it it gives me a certain amount of control that I think I I might want or need that no one else would would know about. Wow. Happy accident, indeed. Mm. Happy accident. That's uh, it's cool how life works like that, eh? Yeah, it it is strange, and and I'm so grateful for it. I really don't know what I'd be doing otherwise, to be honest. What were you studying at Queens? Like, what what was what were you doing there? Oh, I got a Bachelor of Science Honors in Psychology. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Which you know has probably helped me along the way with you know actors and the like. <laughs> I say that with all the fondness in the world, of course. <laughs> my uh, my parents were very strict on the you're getting a science degree. So I did. And then three months later, I did my own thing. And voila. Wow. Amazing. They're, they, you know, they have been very proud of me. So I think I did the right thing all the way around. I thought it was like, a, oh, and now I rebel. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to film school, mom and dad. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I did what you wanted. I did four years of mm. it. I'm curious, having no concept of what it is you do, apart from like obviously the basic stuff, what's your work day like? Well, I know we just said that it's it's all all over the place, but you know, uh, if there is any typical anything happening, what what would that be like? Napping, 
Nothing. No. <laughs> Relatable. <laughs> so I primarily work from home, uh, which in, even before our whole pandemic situation, I, I worked from home. I've worked from home for, I don't know, probably 15 years. Wow. And it takes a, a great deal of self-discipline to, to be able to do that. But what I love about this industry as well is that, you know, we have we do work certain hours in a day, but what you're working toward is a deadline versus what you're going to get done in a day because you can't predict. I can't predict how long it's going to take me to get through a scene. I, in my head, will say, I want to get to this point. I want to get 10 minutes into the show, you know, six hours from now. Yeah. And then I'll be stuck on a line for four hours. And that just, you know, I make, I set goals for myself, but a typical day would be, I have to say the pandemic has turned me into a morning person, which I never thought would happen. So I get up, wow. you know, 6 a.m., 6.30, and then I get a really decent few hours of work in. And, you know, if depending on whether or not I have to record ADR, it's not me actually recording it, but supervising it and, and you know, giving some the actor some direction, which I also can do from home. I just, you know, call in via Zoom and do it that way. But, you know, depending on whether or not I have any sessions or have to be, you know, on stage anywhere, then... Primarily, I just make my own hours and probably work until, I don't know, I guess a typical day would be maybe seven or eight at night. So I'd probably put in about a 12-hour day when I'm working consistently. If I can spread it out and not work that much, great. But again, it's deadlines. If I, you know, deadlines change, sometimes I move earlier, sometimes I move later. But I try and give myself, I'm not very good at it, but I try and give myself a contingency. You know, if something happens and something needs to, to be delivered earlier, then I can accommodate that. But I'm usually a work under pressure get a last minute type of person, to be honest. But ideally, I would love to get, you know, a good eight to 12 hours in at the top of the day and then not think about it. Great. Um, I have two follow up questions. Um, <laughs> uh, question one is four hours on one line. What on earth oh, what's happened? Yeah. do you do with that? I know. That's, <laughs> that's the hyper focused nature of it. Like sometimes back in the day when we didn't have the software or technology to you know, de-click. Like sometimes when people talk, there are a lot of crackles and clicks and like I can hear myself doing it now. Some people really want that cleaned up, including myself. Like I'm pretty perfectionist when it comes to wanting it absolutely perfect, depending on what show oh, it is. Oh, now I can hear it as well when you pointed it out. <laughs> yeah. So when you think about it, you can hear it. Yeah. So that when you are hyper-focused on that, and back in the day, I would have to go in and literally kind of draw with a pencil tool all these little clicks out. Now we have software that will do like mild passes and you can kind of gauge like how, how severe you want it to be. Um, but yes, there, there was one particular show where I did spend four hours on one line oh, God. and uh, wow. I, you know, I, I would prefer not to do that, <laughs> but you know, you have to, you do it for the sake of the show. You do it for the sake of, of, you know, loving what you do, I guess. That's the only way I don't think, I think anybody would do that. <laughs> what show was that? Can you say? Um, it was a particular line in a show called Mutant X. Have you like watched it since and you're like that godforsaken line? <laughs> I, I, I don't even know if I'd be able to, to pinpoint the line now. I can see the scene in my head and I know which character it was, but I'll just leave it yeah. at that. That was a very fun show to work on, which is why I, I cared so much. Right. Yeah. Dari, what was your second? Oh, yeah. Question two, a uh, much more fun one. Um, so uh, you're working from home most of the time. What is your setup made up of? That's a good question. My setup. So I work, because I'm in dialogue, I don't I don't worry about or have to concern myself with 5-1 sound or 7-1 sound or anything like that. I'm more, I work with a stereo, like just a left and right channel setup. I most often work with headphones because I find that I over edit with the headphones. So I'm not going to be surprised if I go onto a mixing stage and hear everything pristine, I'm not going to be surprised by anything I hear because I 
I'm aware of everything when I wear headphones. For example, if I edited in a room without headphones and there were, you had a bit of reverb in that room, it might mask some of the imperfections of the sound. So then you get into onto a mixing stage that doesn't have that sort of roomy quality to it. And you're surprised by like, I didn't hear that when I was editing, that kind of thing. So I work and I can pretty much work anywhere. I can work in a hotel room. I can work. I've worked on planes before. Granted, I can't hear very well, but if I'm doing something where I don't actually have to be listening to what I'm what I'm doing organizationally, I can do that. So I work on a laptop and I export video to a gigantic monitor, which I don't have to. If I'm traveling, I can I can export the the video to a secondary display like my iPad, which is what I do. And then I have Pro Tools software and hard drives for the show content. And that's about it. Everything is is software based for me. Aside from the material, you know, the hard drives that I keep the content on. So it's a very, very simple setup that I have. Your choice of headphones is? These ones, these these staples, these Sony MDR7506s, which I just ordered. I have three pairs standing by because <laughs> I love them so much that I'm afraid they're... Like, I hate routine, but I'm, I'm very resistant <laughs> to change. So <laughs> I, I don't like when my favorite things go um, or discontinued, so... I have a backlog of these ones. I like these ones because um, I don't get fatigue. Like, you know, when headphones kind of just, they put pressure on your head. Mm -hmm. These ones don't. And I like the cable on these ones because I don't know why. I just find that these are less annoying to me. (laughs) Yeah, these are my headphones of choice. Yeah, I find that uh, a lot of them, after an hour, your ears just get, like, pummeled. You can't wear them anymore. These ones I... These ones have been the best for me for that, like fatigue all around. They're, they've been great. Ooh. I'm like, go get myself a pair. Jill yeah. Purdy approved. Yeah. If you don't like them, I'll buy them off you. How about that? Oh, my God. Perfect. Perfect deal. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, what were your first gigs like? Like, what was it like being not good at this in the beginning? I mean, I, I imagine that well, was... What are you insinuating? <laughs> that happened. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's always... There's always the... Well... I don't know about now, back then. <laughs> yeah, of course. I mean, I've, I've always, like, I continue to be self-conscious about my work and I'm I'm not great at compliments when people give them to me about anything other than my work. Like, if you're going to compliment my work, I take that as a, I love, I love being able to, to take that compliment for sure. But, you know, I'm just, it was me asking for a lot of feedback or me editing something and asking for, you know, for someone to take the time to give me some feedback or let me know what I could have done differently but I was taught very well, very early on. And I got a lot of great feedback from the mixers I was working with and just kind of took their advice to an extreme where, you know, I know what I'm happy with, with what I deliver. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it does. So you were never bad. (laughs) No, no, no. I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that. I mean, for me, I was very lucky too, because when I, when I started editing, the TV industry hadn't really started to boom yet in the city. Right. It's not like it is now where it's, you know, it's insane, which is fantastic. But at that time, there weren't enough editors to edit all the production that was happening. So I literally got, you know, I ended up working on a series, being the lead person on this series, editing dialogue within, you know, less than a year of me actually starting wow. working in this business, which is unheard of. Yeah. And that was strictly because I was in the right place at the right time. And I was game to do it because I really feel like you, you know, when you're put under the gun and you have to learn on the spot, your learning curve is, I mean, it's amazing. And you, you learn things and you discover things that you may not have have done previously because you weren't, you didn't have to, you know, you're just get 
in that routine of being an assistant or helping or doing what you're comfortable with and, and yeah, having that sort of routine for yourself and either the ambitions there or, or not. I mean, I was, I was literally like, here, you're cutting this or here, you're, you're going in to record this person. I'm like, what? And you just had to do it. And, but that, you know, then the more you do it, the more comfortable you are with it. So again, right place, right time and lucky for me. So yeah, not not too shabby. You had a nice um, path. Yeah, fateful, it seems. Yeah, yeah, I think so. So what about supervising? Like, when did supervising come about? Supervising? Um, that came about, when did I first? Hmm, that's a good question. Maybe five or six years after I started. But I, I'm, I kind of pick and choose which ones I want to, because honestly, I, I prefer being creative in editing than I do doing, I mean, the prestige that comes with supervising is fantastic, but there's a lot of paperwork, a lot of phone calls, a lot of non-creative things that are involved in organizing the team and and being in that role. So my preference is not to supervise. It depends on the project and it depends on how long I've been working with those clients and, and I will happily do it for, for those reasons. But I'm the happiest when I'm by myself just fixing things or making things sound as best I can, to be honest. So I love that. I love how you found like the perfect job for you. Yeah. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. How do you navigate, presumably having to manage people must be an alien thing. Managing people. Well, yeah. If you're supervising, there's, well, I guess I have the benefit of the people in our industry and the people that I've worked with. We know how those people work, what their specialties are. And, you know, anybody that I'm, I'm working with, I usually trust their abilities to do yeah. their own jobs, like the sound the sound designers who are also supervisors and, and mixers in their own right as well. But I just find that, you know, when we're supervising, we work with everyone's strengths. So there's not a lot of, I don't want to say babysitting, there's not a lot of, you know, checking over people's work kind of thing that goes on, unless you're in a mentor situation and you're and you're trying to develop those those skills. But for the most part, it's it's being a face person for those clients and being around for what is needed from the clients and being available to them versus managing people, in my experience anyway, for the shows that I've worked on. You know, I've listened to this um, other podcast you did, Girl mm-hmm. with a Voice, um, for I think it's, they're called Women on Screen. Mm-hmm. Um, you said in that podcast that you can see waveforms in your head and I think about that like once or twice a day um, <laughs> and I'm like when will my time come <laughs> when you see that yeah um I mean like I said I'm a, I'm a visual person so I could I just I don't know how to describe it I see things that's how I see things it's when I see a calendar in my head I see the days like huh. I can I have a whole calendar in my head and I can see where those things are it's like almost it's like a photographic memory in right. a sense so I can, I can like tell myself, oh, I know I have something on that particular middle of the calendar. And if I concentrate hard enough, I can kind of read through it in my mind and, and realize what it was. And for waveforms, I mean, I find myself dreaming sometimes. I don't like it when I spend my sleeping time um, dreaming about work, Yeah, <laughs> but I'll like edit in my sleep. But I see, I mean, because I guess visually waveforms, you can tell like how loud they're, they are or how soft they are or how if they're distorted or not just by looking at the waveforms so i think that's or the space between the waveforms you can tell that there's space there or maybe that's useful for a room tone situation or something so it's i don't know how to describe it i don't know if that makes any sense it it does it makes sense i um when i edit this podcast i I edit some episodes and when i start learning what someone's ah looks like like what that waveform looks like and i can kind of select it i'm like i am jill purdy (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm amazing. I, I, I've oh gotten there. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I take that as a compliment, but yeah, it's, it's a really fascinating thing. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm now I'm visualizing pro tool yeah. sessions all over the place. <laughs> Forms. But it, it's interesting because, you know, if you if I pull in a, a region and I want to look for an, an alternate take or whatever, because sometimes, you know, we can go into different takes and pull out a syllable from that take and edit it into the original one. And it's like it's the same. You'd never know it was a swapped syllable. But, you know, you can just kind of look at the waveform and go, oh, there it is. I know exactly where it is in this whole, you know, slate full of, of audio, which is, yeah, it's I think it's just experience. So you'll get there. <laughs> Good, good. Reassuring. What movies inspired you when you were a kid that kind of, or like TV shows that was like, I, I need to do this? <laughs> well, I, you know, I went and saw E.T. four times when I was 12 by myself. I mean, one of those, I was very much into sci-fi and horror and, you know, things that my dad would watch, you know, like Stanley Kubrick films and, and that sort of thing. But I mean, I just, I was always a big reader and then I discovered TV and I just watched TV constantly. I'm embarrassed <laughs> to say what I watched, so I'll... I'll refrain from that. But, I mean, there were, it was just everything, everything in the eighties, everything in the eighties. I was, I was all over and the seventies, but you know, the wonder woman's, the bionic woman's, the Charlie's angels, the, all the, all, Oh, there's one of my dogs. Um, oh, you have a dog too. We are two. Oh, you're so lucky. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I just watched anytime I wasn't, anytime I had time, I was watching movies and I still, you know, I'm still rewatching movies from the eighties, like every day in the background. <laughs> quite crazy wow uh, I'm, I'm actually wondering uh, again this is me not knowing this industry at all um do you get to like see all of those uh all the films you work on before they are out does yes. that does it work like that i would so say you know hundreds what? of times <laughs> i wouldn't I mean, say in the in the final version i you know yeah. you don't see the final everything mixed together and color corrected and visual effects all in before they air but just by virtue of working on them, I mean, it's just scenes over and over and over and watching yeah. through them, watching through them. So, yes, I always will see the shows um, in their entirety several times before they're released. But they're not like, are they in sequence? Is it um, like if, if something you can follow or is it just? Yeah, for the most part, for the most part, there's the odd time when you'll be sent scenes and you, you work on them out of order. That happened with Nightmare Alley just because they... I only say this because I shouldn't be talking about the film, but it, it's public knowledge that, I mean, they, they shot a portion of the film before they had to shut down for COVID. Right. So because shows are often shot out of order because of just location availability and that sort of thing, various reasons. But so we started working on some of the scenes that were shot before the, the rest of the film was completed. So in that case, that's a rare case where you, you don't work on things in sequence or in order or very close to the locked version having worked on things over and over and over again do you start like hearing the dialogue in your head and then you can like perform it if you wanted to oh yeah definitely <laughs> definitely there's you know I had a conversation with a colleague of mine Craig Hennigan who <laughs> I'm about to start working with him on something and he also went to Sheridan oh um, yeah I, and... we love Craig I did a presentation on Craig <laughs> oh there you go Aroma, so... yeah <laughs> right gorgeous film oh yeah and so you know we were we chatted on the phone yesterday and the first thing he said to me was a quote from a movie that we did back in 2000 I forget when it was but it was a movie called paid in full and he just quoted me, he quoted me that movie and, we were, and then we just go on this quoting back and forth thing and that that happens a lot with with a lot of us so yeah <laughs> that's so funny and I can see I can see the, the actor and I can you know channel them to a certain degree so wow yeah it's fun yeah I, I think it would be yeah <laughs> so do you um 
like uh what was i gonna say uh oh my god my question just slipped skip me <laughs> sorry too much. skip you i can't skip you you're the host oh my yeah <laughs> skip me i'm i'm uh, i'm exempt <laughs> yeah no that's um Oh my god. I hate that feeling. I just had it. Oh yeah, I know. It was gonna be like the most important question of my life. <laughs> It'll come back. I think so. Um well I was gonna ask, what else do you do? Do you just sit there all day editing things? Is there anything else you do in your life? <laughs> Is there anything else? There's so many things I'd like to be doing that I need to make the time for. But um no, I I yeah. I edit and then I probably will watch a movie. It's really, it's really quite, <laughs> quite pathetic. Unless I'm at the cottage, I do like to visit my cottage this time of year. And in that case, I do, well, again, a lot more napping and reading or trying to read or just chilling out, you know, just enjoying my time up there. I try and not watch as much TV and stuff up there because it's really not the venue for it. So, yeah. What else do I do? <laughs> what else do well, I I've got to say that that is... Um... It's just dedication to one art firm that you love, and it's it's admirable. I suppose good karma from past life. I like to think of it that way sometimes. Just good there. I like to think of it. Yeah. I don't know what I did in a past life to deserve this, but I like it. Uh, whatever you did, it's been yeah. very good. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing past life action. <laughs> I remember what I was going to say. It was really stupid. It wasn't that important, but I was just wondering, <laughs> do you, um, do you talk to yourself when you dialogue edit? Do you I talk to myself all the time? Yeah. All the time. And again, I literally had a conversation two days ago where I said, if anybody happened to be watching me or recording me, I would be committed instantaneously <laughs> because I talk to myself so much and I talk out loud, but I did read that that is a sign of intelligence. So Oh, well. <laughs> well yeah, then. I love I love when you read something on the internet that confirms the flaw you have as a sign. Yeah, you know, it makes you feel a little hero. less crazy. It's great. Because yeah. I do. I narrate everything. Mm. Everything. Yeah. It's the same with swearing. So I was just going to say Swearing that. means you're smart? I'm re- yeah, I'm really smart. I Yeah, oh my God, I'm a genius. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I swear at myself out loud. So I think maybe there's a double genius gene in there somewhere. Oh, yeah, definitely. Oh my God. <laughs> I don't know if we like deserve to have you on this podcast. You're like <laughs> too smart. Oh, oh we man, have been blessed. I wish. <laughs> I mean, that four-year degree in psychology, and then I'm, I'm impressed with you. <laughs> oh, thanks. Yeah. I'm impressed with you. Thanks for doing this. This is great. Oh my god, this is like my favorite job I've ever had in my entire life. I like. Is this not the best, Aria? Uh, yes. If, if you're <laughs> reaching like young women out of this, I mean, it's that's golden. That's amazing. Of course, I was going to ask you about that because I know that you feel that's very important to get more women into this industry. Um, how have you seen things, I guess, change as you've been in it for a while? And like, how does mentorship play a role in your career? Oh, mentorship. Well, I I should mentor more than I I do. With I should take I t- should take more. <laughs> I should take more time. I should take more time. But that's why I I do. I I try not to say no to these podcasts or these interviews or or you know people asking my opinions on things because I'm terrified of doing it. But I think it's important for women to see that there is a, a path in this industry. And same with what what you both are doing through this your medium as well. But mentorship. I mean, I try and just, if anybody reaches out to me, at least talk to them on the phone, at least give them some feedback or anything through email or try and point, point them to people that have, have time or knowledge or, or, 
want to help as well. Because I work on my own so much and I work at home, I'm not always in the position to have someone kind of sit with me and shadow me. I used to be able to do that when I worked in an office, but again, that's been so long ago. But I think the fact that there are people out there that do do that is amazing. And I think that, you know, I've talked to people in administration at the colleges and universities, some of them, and recommended, you know, putting more women in their in their materials that they send out to secondary school students, or just seeing, you know, a woman behind a camera or with headphones on or anything in, in this industry that will encourage encourage young women to to be involved. And I am seeing that there are more, like I, I did teach, I taught a semester last year at Sheridan and I, I taught a semester back in 2007 as well. And just to see the number of women that have even increased in that, that amount of time, the number of international students that are women that are coming into the industry and want to learn is amazing. The fact that I'm seeing graduates that are pursuing this in the field and are, are successful and they're, man, they're so talented. Like there are so many talented young people out there, not just women that are passionate about this and, and have the, the chops, have the skills and are, you know, trying to pursue re-recording, which is a, an industry like mixing, um, re-recording engineering that is still lacking. I mean, this whole industry is lacking with representation that way, but the fact that more women are interested and in pursuing it and want to learn is, is fantastic. And more women sound designers, yeah. which again, has been a field predominantly, you know, a, a male dominated field. So it's, it's, I have been seeing some progress with that and I, I encourage it. And I think if you're passionate about it, don't be discouraged by anything or anyone just, Lovely. just try. Well said. Yeah. I guess I, I caught on the fact that you said you don't, like doing these podcasts, eh? Like these freak you out? I they they terrify me. My heart my heart was pounding before I came on this. Oh okay, my gosh. and I'm well, so I'm just like oh, you're doing so well. Thank you. But I but once I start talking about it, it eases. Like and and I keep telling myself, you know, the older I get, the more self confident I am, and I should be, and I I am internally. But then, and I always love the thought of doing it. when I'm asked. I always think I'm thank you for asking me. That's so great. Now this is going to be amazing. And then the closer it gets to the the day, I'm like, <gasps> but it's important. It's important to kind of squelch those and and talk to you and and let people know that there's even if you are shy or quiet, there is a voice somewhere in there, and it, that's how I mean that's how mine comes out is creatively through you know through sound or through editing. But everyone's got that somewhere, and it's it's just about having the the confidence and the passion to pursue it and and be confident at least in that aspect, and then the rest will hopefully come. Like I'm not nerve I'm not nervous now talking to you, but leading up to it, I was yeah. <laughs> Oh, I mean, I don't want to say I'm happy to hear that, but like, cause I am too, like I pace and I like, you know, fuss for the entire day uh, before my interview. Yeah. So, yeah. so that's good. We're on, we're on the same page. Yeah. But again, you have to realize that this is important. I mean, it's important what you, what you both are doing is important and that, you know, hopefully eases that a bit, the anxiety. Well, thank you so much for doing it then, especially because of causing you such distress we didn't mean to <laughs> but it's it's self-imposed distress that is so unwarranted that's what it comes down to like worrying is wasted right it's just things you can't control it's about living trying to live in the moment i'm trying to do that um it's hard yeah and it's worth it like i mean i'm i'm happy to be doing this like it's great can we talk about some like specific stories perhaps tales from the mixed age or just like the worst <laughs> dialogue that you ever faced, but you tackled? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I'm going to have lots of tales. I, I keep 
you know, joking around that I'm going to write a book about all my experiences with actors and directors and things like that. Don't but joke. I really Please don't do. think. I really don't think anyone would read it. Jill, I would buy your book. I swear people to God, would read it. Also, people might sue you for it. <laughs> exactly. I would have to get a lot of clearances. True. To but uh, it's just bad dialogue situations. That's a good one because it's technology is evolving so rapidly that there isn't there isn't much these days that can't be tackled with software that'll make things sound better like wind machines and rain machines and you know you can draw out the birds you can draw out crickets it's so amazing what you can do these days so really bad dialogue isn't isn't really an issue these days anymore especially with the fact that you know there's so many microphones being used i mean back when i started we worked with two tracks you had wow. a left channel and a right channel you didn't have eight lavalier mics and two or three booms that you had to deal with and figure out which was going to work better and phase align all the microphones and all that. I mean, so now it's become more technical and more organizational right. than it, than it was previously. So stories that way, I don't really have any negative ones. I mean, and I always, you know, I will always say that I admire production mixers so much because I would never be able to work on set. I wouldn't be able to do it. I wouldn't have the patience. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to deal with the factors and because, the, you know, all the environmental factors, the location factors, the all the actors, all the blocking has to be, you know, dealt with. And that would be extremely stressful. So production mixers that love it and do it, I greatly admire. So, I mean, you're so at the mercy of the variables that are on set. But, I mean, I have a lot of, like, amazing, you know, actor stories and director stories and just who I've, you know, who I've worked with and the fact that I, you know, admired so many people growing up in terms of actors and the fact that I've been able to work with so many of them is, is just mind blowing. It's again, one of the reasons why I love my job because I get a, get a call tomorrow saying, Hey, can you supervise a session with so-and-so? And it's like, yes. And you wouldn't expect it. And you know, and I, I was able to work at Skywalker for the mix of a film, which I absolutely loved, you know, staying in a room at, you know, in this inn on the ranch there and listening to Star Wars in the next room was just like, what, those types of things where they just never grow old and just another reason why it's great when your your hobbies become your career, your passion. I'd like to talk about to something um, technical you said. So seeing that as you're working with so many microphones on one source uh, and well, you need to phase a line, is there clever software that does that or do you personally go and do it? Or There is software that does that. Yeah. It, we used to manually have to go in and, and do that, like zoom in on waveforms and match them up, like align them that way. But now there is an amazing software. Most of us use one that's called auto align. It automatically does it for you. I mean, you, you highlight the track that you want to align and then you tell it which, which track to align to. So that has, that has saved a tremendous amount of time. I can't even yeah. tell you. What a day to be alive. Yes. <laughs> oh man, like, you know, back when we didn't have any of the software, I, I don't even know how we did it, to be honest, because there's software these days like Isotope and, and just there's so many different plugins that are used that I, I really don't feel like I work without anymore. So. So the fact that you did. Yeah. 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 But yeah. And, but it's like, how did, how did we even do that? I can't, I, I terrifies me to, to go back and like, listen to how I edited then versus what we can do now. Right. But um, yeah, it's pretty crazy. Would you say it's just a lot of time has been saved? Yes. Tremendous amount of time. And there's, you know, there's software that will generate tones or 
like mimic and match tone within your own tracks, like your the lines, mm-hmm. and create like a seamless tone fill that doesn't sound processed, that sounds organic to the scene. So because you know so much time is spent grabbing a few frames here, a few frames there of <sighs> of just not silence but atmosphere from that particular room or scene to use, and the fact that that time has been saved is tremendous. Oh yeah, wow. Oh, room tone. Right? (laughs) (laughs) So how is, um, obviously there's a very technical element to dialogue editing. In what ways is it creative for you? And uh, is there an example of like a very creative approach you've taken with dialogue editing that you're really proud of? Mm. That's an interesting, that's a, that's an interesting, that's a nuanced one. Um, I mean, I get personal satisfaction out of just making something sound good that at first listen, you wouldn't think would be able to work mm. or that a line that's not clear suddenly becomes audible and, and clear, be it denoising it or volume graphing within it or using software or using alternate takes and subbing in. Like I'm, I'm classic for um, when actors come into the studio and they record their ADR or we record that. I'll just take syllables that I need from that recording and edit it into the production sound so that I really believe in preserving the performance from set or on location and actors, actors do. I mean, there's, it's rare that, but they do exist. Actors will come in and and feel that they can improve on their performance and they will do it willingly. And they'll, they'll call their own lines because they want to change their performance. That's rare. But what you want to do is just try and preserve the original performance as much as possible because they're in the moment. They're working with the other actors. They're interacting in a way that you don't get when you're solo on a, on a controlled environment recording stage. So um, the fact that I can mix and match certain things, I'm incredibly proud of when it works. Yeah. And I'm personally satisfied. I don't need to say to that who I'm working with, oh, I, I did this and then I did that. It's just like, I love it when I do it for myself. And also I'm classic for mixing and matching takes that are recorded. So I'll take, I mean, the directors will say print this take or circle take five. If I'm in charge of it or I'm making the decisions, I'll use part of take three and a little bit of take four and maybe some of take six all like I can again I'm editing in my head while I'm recording it so if I were to pass off if when I'm recording for somebody else if someone says can you supervise a session for me and I have to send back my notes that terrifies me because I'm like ah but I wouldn't just do this take I would do five of them yeah (laughs) but you can't really you know someone can't read your mind that way so I try and take meticulous notes in those situations but I prefer like I prefer to always edit what I record when it comes to that. That's that's probably my approach to, to things is just trying to make the original performance work and sound as organic as possible. I don't like it. I don't like over-processing or hearing things that are processed. I want it to sound as organic as possible and then pass that off to the mixers to, to finesse that. Yeah. A lot of creative problem solving in dialogue yes. editing. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I just realized whoever is editing this episode... Oh my god, you're gonna be so nervous. Cause they cause they have to dialogue yeah. edit a dialogue edit. Yeah. Don't worry, I'm very objective. I won't judge. They're just gonna listen back to your episode, be like, oh no, what have they done there? Ooh, that's horrible. Yeah, like that was a really bad edit. Yeah, no, so wait, what what did do you hear bad edits in your media? Does it ruin the magic for you at all? You know, I'm no, I mean, it depends on what I'm listening to. If I'm watching like a regular TV show and I notice that there's really horribly edited ADR or whatever, it doesn't it doesn't really take me out of the show, to be honest. Like I, I am more forgiving with what I, it depends on the situation, to be honest. If I hear really clicky dialogue, I'm, I have a bit of an issue with that. 
same with, you know, if I'll see, if I see really bad ADR go by, I'll be like, oh, I would have tightened that up a little better. I would have done this or that. But for the most part, I'm, I'm pretty objective. You just see the waveforms in your head and you're like, oh, That's they right. didn't I'm align like, oh, them, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A little mouth movement there and nothing going on. <laughs> So you said you are like kind of a nerd for sci-fi and cool things. And I feel like you've gotten to work on a lot of projects like that. Is that by choice or is it just more fate that you get to work it's on? It's more stuff? fate. Wow. It's more fate. You know, at the time that I, I worked on Scary Stories, there was the option for me to, to do another. I guess that was a supernatural one as well. But I was hoping that the fates would fall and, you know, Scary Stories would fall in my lap, which it did, which I, you know used to read when I was a kid and it's just stuff like that where it's like things just come around it's like oh yes thank you oh my god you really have a fateful existence blows my I mind. do yeah I, I truly do I truly do and you know those the only times I get really irritated are you know when I'm extremely fatigued I'm like why am I doing this why am I doing this but it's it's because but I'll, I'll be so and I've said this so many times on so many different venues but I can be so tired. I can be like just swearing to to quit the business because I can't do these hours anymore. And if I hear somebody walk by and say, oh, we've got this show coming in, I'll be like, oh, I want to work on that. So it's. (laughs) You just love it too much. Um, Yeah. Yeah. It's just, I just do. I just can't. I can't let it go. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. But wouldn't it be lovely if everyone could do what they, what they love to do, what they think they might love? Well, exactly. I know. That's why it's like speaking to people who love their job it it's so invigorating you know because it doesn't it's not even close to the norm the way I you know get a sense a lot of people work jobs they hate so yep yeah we got to sell them on this audio thing (laughs) (laughs) just for my curiosity um you worked on Bride of Chucky which is like um (laughs) my favorite so I had a blast working on that I had a blast what 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 was your experience it was it was just fun. It was really, it was a really intense period of time. Like there was a lot to be done in a short amount of time, but it's completely up my alley again. I mean, you know, that cast, Jennifer Tilly, come on, come on. And, um, John Ritter was in that movie yeah. and Brad Dorif, who, you know, I was a huge fan of because of Exorcist three and one flew over the cuckoo's nest. I mean, I just, it's just one of all these little things that tidbits from my youth that came into play with that movie. And the, and you know, the people that we worked with like Don Mancini and, and, all the people on that show are just so, so much fun. It's always, my experience on a show is always, doesn't matter how poor the recordings were or how, I mean, whatever, if I, if I had a great experience working with the people, then I absolutely love the movie or the show. It's just, you know, such great memories. Yeah. 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 I mean, I guess people make or break a job, right? (laughs) Pretty much. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) Which is again, one of the reasons this industry being unpredictable you know that if you're having a bad experience, which has been, you know, here and there, but very rare for me, that show's going to end and you're, you don't, you know, you are working with different people all the right. time. You don't, you're not always working with that one bad apple or that personality conflict or whatever. It's not like, like you would be stuck in an office with someone for 10 years and wondering. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. I guess I never even thought that, yeah, once the show ends, you just move on. You move on. With the scars of how terrible that person was. <laughs> exactly. Or you learn what you, you know, what you can tolerate and what you won't next time around. Right. Or, you know. Yeah. Try and learn. Yeah. <laughs> or not work with them again, for sure. Along those lines, what's your, um, your big golden advice uh, for uh, anyone 
anyone in the world. <laughs> I would say try and follow your heart. If you know what you're, what you crave, what you're passionate about, what would make you happy, try and pursue it and don't give up. Don't, don't put those hopes and dreams on somebody else. I mean, just try and make it happen for yourself. And if one door closes, there's got to be another door somewhere and try, try and not give up. Just try and be persistent. If you're passionate, I, I truly believe it'll happen somehow. Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much, Joe. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time to hang with me and Daria. You're great. I, and I'm so happy that you found something you're so passionate about. It really, uh, it's very inspiring. Thank you. It makes me want to find my thing. <laughs> Maybe it's dialogue editing. Maybe it is. We'll chat. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, please. Um, but um, thanks again for doing this. I think that's, it's amazing that you have taken this on and, and, you know, everyone previously and everyone to come. Like, I think it's, it's amazing. It's encouraging and inspiring. Go sound girls. Right? (laughs) We can do it. That's right. (laughs) Thank you for listening to the Sound Girls podcast. Check out soundgirls.org for more information. We're part of the Audio Podcast Alliance. Be sure to check out what our friends in the podcasting community have in store for you at audiopodcast.org.